You know, that last verse of that song presents a truth to us that is very valuable. That we as Christians should not fear death. You know, that verse... That verse says that as you lay in your grave, you will be singing praises to Christ Jesus and His power that saved you from sin and death. Alright, so we're going to move along here in chapter 6. Um, that would be to verses 22 and 23. Now, 19 through 24 are, as you see in your Bible more than likely, there's three paragraphs, but they have, they're, they're separated by space from verses 20, or 18 and 25, which kind of gives us an idea that these three paragraphs are kind of interconnected, that are woven together. Jesus, it's almost as if these are laid out in one big idea, but really it's in the full context of the whole Sermon on the Mount, especially this latter part in chapter 6. But I told Sylvia this last night, and she rebuked me, but I don't think it was necessarily a thing to need to be rebuked by. Um, I told her, sometimes I'm just frustrated with how Jesus teaches. And not that the content is wrong or bad, because it's definitely not. It's, it's His Word. But the way Jesus teaches in the Gospels, and if you're familiar with his interaction with the disciples after he has taught to the crowds, you realize that he leaves stuff out intentionally. Or he doesn't connect the dots intentionally. Whereas if you get Paul, like when we read Ephesians 1, that those 14 verses, or maybe 12 verses, in the Greek is one run-on sentence explaining the blessings of, of Christians in Christ. Paul leaves nothing, uh, he leaves nothing out. And I don't want to get into why Jesus leaves things out because that's a whole nother sermon in itself. But he, he's, he quotes Isaiah in chapter 6, which we read before we started Sunday school. When God told Isaiah to go and preach, he said, you're going to say things and people aren't going to understand them. They don't have the eyes to see or the ears to hear. And in a roundabout way, he says, I don't want them to see and understand. Lest they repent. Which is a weird thing for God to say. But he has his purposes. I'm going off on a, uh, a rabbit trail here. We talked about Israel in Sunday school this morning and that they never returned. 
And Brother Dan brought up that passage uh, where Jesus is looking over Jerusalem and he says, if you just would have, I would have brought you in under my wing. But Jesus knew very well that the plan from the beginning is that they wouldn't. And why? So that the gospel would go to the Gentiles. And so it's like, why would you do it that way? But he does. He did. And he did that with his teaching. Jesus quoted Isaiah and said, I say things to them in parables so that they don't understand them. Unless they understand and repent. I don't want them to do that. Which is a weird thing for Jesus to say. And so there are some, part, there are some other parts in Jesus' teaching. And one of the reasons also is, is that he has his timing you know, if he goes and he's telling all these people and, and they start to, things get out of hand, they realize he's the Messiah, is he going to make it to the cross? You know, he says, my time will come. He heals someone or someone believes on him and he says, don't go and tell anybody. Now's not the time. So as you read Jesus and his teaching, especially that to the crowd, he leaves a little bit for you like, is this it? This doesn't make a lot of sense. And for me, to be honest, this one has always been, especially this section, how it's together and we start talking about this eye. It's the lamp of the body. And we've just been talking about laying up treasure. Like, how are, what are you saying, Jesus? There's no, there's no command here. He doesn't give a command in these two verses which we'll come back to. He doesn't give a therefore. And it's just, it's hard to find the key in the context, either before or after. You know, like we said, the, those people after 9-11 should have read the sentence before and the sentence after, and they would have understood the, the context of what they were saying. You can't, it's hard to get that from here. Uh, so here's what I want to do this morning. I just want to look at these two verses at face value, see what we can figure out. And after we kind of get the ball rolling, we have to take a step back and look elsewhere to maybe understand the point that Jesus is making. And so before we do that, let me pray and then let us, let's read these, just these, well, we'll read this whole section, 19 through 24. Let's pray. God, we need your divine help. You speak truth and only truth. And we need your spirit to understand. So be merciful to us. And show us yourself, if you will, by your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, 19. This is what, 19 through 21 is where we've been the last two weeks. And we're going to come back to it as we walk through this today. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth 
nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is is in you, if then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Notice the exclamation point there. 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money or mammon. Now, verses 24, verse 24 we won't get to today, uh, and Lord willing, we will come back to next week. Uh, verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. Okay, so how do we approach that sentence? The eye is the lamp of the body. We have to realize and understand that Jesus isn't speaking literal here, right? Your eyes don't shine. They don't give off light. There's nothing glowing in you because of your your eyes. Jesus is comparing your eyes to a lamp. It's a comparison. It's an analogy. Now, he gives us the purpose of the lamp or of the eyes. It's to give light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. It gives light. Oh, we were watching um, a new thing on National Geographic. And they were out in the Sahara. And they, it said at night. And they want, I don't know what they're doing. You can't tell what they're doing. But they flip off their headlights and their, all their lights in their vehicles. And they literally cannot see anything. They're standing next to... This is in the Sahara, right? They're standing next to each other, next to each other. And he goes... One of the guys goes to hand uh, night vision goggles to the other one. And he's like, I need night vision goggles to see the night vision goggles. Like, he he can't see to grab the goggles, and they're sitting there, and they, well, they're looking through the goggles, and they're looking at wildebeest. And then they're sitting there, and then they hear, you know, this lion make this noise in the background. They can't see it. They can't see to where to go. They can't see where to walk. They can't see how to interact with others. They can't see the, thing, the good things they want to see in front of them. And they can't see the danger that's around them because it's completely dark. What does light do? It alerts us to these things. So your eye is the lamp to your body. You have to see to know where to go. Right? Like the light allows you to know. Your eyes are bringing you to what you need. If you want to eat, you don't like the broccoli, you got to have your eyes to know to stay away from the broccoli. You got to see the, the, the step on our front porch, you got to know it with your eyes. 
The eyes bring light to these things so that you can see them, do them, avoid them, relish them, enjoy them. Jesus says the eyes are what allow this to happen. Now, he gives two conditions of the eye. Now, again, remember, he's using the eye, not, not literal, but we can understand how the eye operates to understand what Jesus has to say. Two conditions of the eye in Jesus' teaching or of the lamp, however you want to look at it, because he's saying they're the same thing. Number one, your eye could be healthy. Or if you're reading the King James, it says single, which is a very odd word for us. At least for me it is. Simple. Healthy. Um, What was another word that's all? Clear. So I think the word single kind of comes about within like if you have two things and you put them over each other or fold them together, you see one, right? And so with our vision, we want to see one thing. We don't want to see double. We don't want to see it clearly. So healthy is a good, a good way of thinking about it, clear and simple, I'm going to stick with healthy. But that word's difficult in the New Testament because it's only used twice in all of the New Testament. And sometimes when you don't understand a word and how the person is intending it, you can look at its uses throughout the New Testament, right? And maybe kind of get a better idea of, oh, how is it used with, in this sentence or in that So it kind of helps you understand, well, this word is only used twice and it's in Matthew and then the parallel passage in Luke. So it gave me nothing to go to, but we could just know, think of it as healthy, right? As healthy, especially when you consider the other condition. So it's obviously an opposite, bad or a translations, your translations might state evil. And it states evil because it's the same Greek word that's used throughout Matthew, also in his Sermon on the Mount, where he uh, talks about evil. So the two conditions you can have of your eye, healthy or bad, good or, or evil, right? Sick, diseased, or clear. So we've got the two conditions. Oh, let me, let me ask you this. If your eyes are bad, what's, what's the result? You can't see, right? You can't see. So just keep that in mind. So the two conditions of the eye produce different results in Jesus' teaching. So if your eye is healthy, the result is your whole body will be full of light. What is the other result? Well, if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So light or dark. To see 
or to be blind, basically. If you're in the Sahara and the lights are out, you're blind. Even if you can see, you're blind. If the lights are on, you can see. And Jesus uses, he gets, says something weird, hard to kind of consider. At the Towards the middle of 23, he says, then if the light in you is darkness. Okay, so what does that mean? If the light in you is darkness. That made me think of like those dark light bulbs. You know, where people put dark light bulbs in their room and you flip on a light and you're like, this isn't any much better than when the light was off. But the, the understanding that, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. Just, just know that when he says the light in you is darkness, that maybe you think you can see but you're really in the dark. Okay? So let's let's keep moving on here. And then he makes a statement about the second result from the bad eye. And he says, as I already started to say, if then the light in you is darkness, meaning you got a bad eye. Right? That's what he had said. Now, if the light was in you was light, you would have a good eye, a healthy eye. But he's saying, um, he's saying, okay, if the light is in you is darkness, you have a bad eye. But then he makes a statement. How great is the darkness? And it's as if, it's as if that statement is what he really wanted to drive home. How great is the dark. He doesn't talk about the good eye. He doesn't talk about the result of the good eye. But he, he makes sure to tell us that if you have a bad eye, you are in darkness. And buddy, beware. The darkness is great. So what do we know? Darkness is bad. You don't want to be in the dark. Have a good eye, not a bad eye. Like if we just stopped here and we just took it at face value, I wouldn't know what Jesus wants us to really know. Like have a good eye. What do you mean? Don't be in the dark. What, what are you talking about? Because there's no command here. He doesn't say, go get a good eye. He doesn't say, clean your eye. He doesn't give an imperative, which is a command, to go and do something. So this is why I get frustrated with Jesus' teaching sometimes. Because I'm not sure. So how do we... So we have to take a step back and we have to think about when we come to a passage 
it's not clear, or the application isn't just blaring in our face, how do we find it? We think about other scripture, right? We think about other truths. See, here's where I want you to understand the grace that you have, that people before this word was written down did not have. You have the totality of God's word to help you understand what is in God's word. That is a divine grace of God. I can't, I can't overstate it. I, I, I don't even feel like I could say the words to explain to you, to express to you the value you hold in your hands right now. And I'll tell you this, and I'll get on to you. If you're sitting here and you don't hold a Bible in your hand, I don't know what you're doing. Because this is where we are. This is the Word of God. And if you need one, you can take one of those home in the pew. Except for you kids. I'm not, you don't take one. You have one. Okay, so, okay. So we got to think about it. We got to think about truth in Scripture to help us navigate this. So how do we approach what Jesus is saying here? I think you've got two options. Um, the first one being, okay, Jesus wants me to think about my eyes, think about what I'm looking at, and make sure I'm not looking at bad things. He's given me a warning at what I'm looking at. Meaning, what I look at determines the condition of my eye. Maybe not. This has kind of always been the place that I've come to with this. Um, because I've not studied a lot, because I've always been real frustrated with it. And I've, I think, I, don't, I can't point to a time, but I just remember people telling me that's how I should think about this verse. Which, again, I should warn you, if the only reason you have an interpretation of a verse is because I've told you that interpretation, then you need to actually do some work and go and make sure I'm right. Because I lived a full, I lived 29 years of my life believing what people told me, and then I realized they were wrong. They were wrong. So, not a spoiler alert. Um, that's been my understanding of this. I, uh, it, be careful at what you look at. And there's truth there. I did a quick YouTube search. I typed in healthy eye sermon, hoping I would get a hit. The first one I clicked on, uh, it was a three-minute explanation. And he said, if you focus on things that are edifying, then your body will be full of light. If you focus on things that are not edifying, your body will be full of darkness. So what he meant was, 
you control by your own actions, by your own will, whether or not you have a healthy eye or a sick eye. I don't think that's right. I don't think Jesus is telling us in order to be in the light, because ultimately that's what he's getting at, in order to be in the light, you need to look at the right things. You need to make sure that you are only paying attention to what is good. Then your eye will be good and you will have light in you. That is contrary to the gospel. Are you following me? That is contrary to the work of God through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Here's the second one. And this will help us kind of understand why the first one doesn't work. The second one, so the first approach to this passage would have been, we need to change what we're looking at. The second approach, and I'm arguing is the right approach is, is Jesus is giving a warning to the current condition of your eye. He's saying, bad eye ain't good. Now, when I got glasses, I got glasses in second or third grade. I didn't know I needed glasses. I went, we had a, they, they just pulled us up out of the whole class, out of the classroom and said, y'all are getting an eye exam today? I'm like, oh, okay, cool. And I get in there, and you know, people are going like, oh, I passed, I passed, I passed. And I get in there, and the lady was like, okay, read the bottom line. I was like, nope. She said, read the next line. Nope. Read the next line. Nope. She goes, what can you read? I said, A. I can read the top letter. That's it. So I found out that day that I was really blind. Big time. You know what she told me? She said, if you'll just look harder and at the right things, your eyes will get better. You think she told me that? No. She fixed my eyes by giving me help. She gave me a prescription and made me see. It wasn't you take the things that are bad and go fix them by using them. You can't do that. That's like saying... I'm trying to put I'm trying to put water in this bucket with this pail, but for some reason it's not working. And then you realize that there's a hole in your pail, and you're like, well, just do it more and more and more. Well, no, it's not gonna work because it's broken. So you can't use it because it's broken. Jesus is telling us your eye is broken. Or it could be good. He's saying it you couldn't have a good eye. I, he doesn't tell them they have a bad eye or a good eye. He says you either have a good eye, a healthy eye, or a bad eye. And if you have a bad eye, you are in the dark, and the darkness is great. So, 
look at Matthew chapter 4. One page over to the left, or maybe two. Verses 12. Let's read a few verses to kind of help us think about bad eyes and darkness. Matthew 4.12. And then we're going to jump to 2 Corinthians 4, which we just read earlier. And we'll keep your thumb in 2 Corinthians 4 because we're going to go back and forth to it a few times. Now this is just, in Matthew 4, this is just an example of this light and darkness. Jesus has just been baptized. He has gone through 40 days of trial and temptation in the wilderness he has come out uh the better adam the he's come out acknowledge or he has defeated satan and and he has not succumbed to temptation he is proving himself to be the messiah the second adam and then in verse 12 now when he heard jesus heard that john had been arrested he withdrew into galilee and leaving nazareth he went and lived in capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Nef- or the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness. I'll go to second. We'll come back to Matthew four in a minute, but go to Second Corinthians chapter four. Again, I, I told Sylvia uh, last night, I was like, it's so frustrating. I want to preach Matthew 6, 22 and 23, but I feel like I can't do it without looking other places. And this is just part, sometimes when you get to something in Scripture, you have to have other Scripture to help you understand. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse four. Uh, verse four. In their case, those who are unbelievers, in their case, the God of this world has blinded, blinded the minds. Of the unbelievers. Let's stop there. So, is Jesus really talking about an eye? Here is the key. And I'm getting out of order here, but that's okay. Here's the key. Jesus is not talking about your eye. He's talking about your heart. He's talking about your soul. He's talking about your. He's talking about who you are. He's talking about your nature. Uh, the Bible often interchanges or uses uh, as synonyms uh, seeking with your heart or setting your eyes upon right 
uh, Isaiah, um, we got so many places going on. Just hang there, and I'm going to read this for you. We, we talked about this one time in Sunday school when we were going through Psalm 119. Psalm 119, we see one time, he says, I have, er, with my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. And then verse 19, he says, um, hang on. Open my eyes that I might behold wondrous things out of your law. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. He's not talking about doing this. He's talking about setting his heart, his mind, his soul. The God of this world has blinded the minds, the eyes of the unbeliever. In Zebulun and Naphtali, they were in darkness. They could not see. The reality is Scripture is clear. It's all throughout Scripture. That we are blind to heavenly things. We are in the dark. And we are unable to see the good. We're unable to see the glory of God. Now you think about that in the context of Matthew 6. Put my ribbon here. You think about that in the context of what we've been talking about the last two weeks. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth... Do not let our butt lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. It's just a figure of speech. If your heart is healthy, your whole body is healthy. If your mind is healthy, your whole body is healthy. If it's not, you're in the darkness. And you can't lay up nothing in heaven if you're in the dark. You're groping and searching and seeking the wrong things. You don't know what heavenly treasure is. We don't know what heavenly treasure is. So, if you want to obey the command that we've talked about the last two weeks of pursuing, laying up treasures in heaven, you can't do it unless you've got a good eye. You must have a healthy eye that shines light so that you can see heavenly treasure you know, but Jesus, he's not, he's not straight with us here. I just don't think, I, he doesn't give us enough. In this verse, he doesn't give us enough. What are we to do? 
What's the answer, the remedy to bad vision? Well, the reality is he is. He's the remedy. He's the prescription. He's what we need. You see, the, he doesn't necessarily have to tell us in this verse because he's been saying it throughout his preaching, more than likely. And we can also see it in what John has to say about it. And if you want, you can turn there. John 1, 1. If you've got too many fingers tied up, don't worry about it. I'll read it. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus says the darkness is great, but Jesus also says, I am greater. He is the prescription, the remedy to bad vision, to a bad eye to be taken out of the darkness. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The gospel gives you new sight. Now go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's back up and look. start at verse 3. Verse 3, chapter 4, 2 Corinthians. And even if our gospel is veiled. So if it's veiled, what's the problem? They can't see it. But if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Darkness. Eternal darkness. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds, so there that is, the minds of the unbelievers to keep from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. So here we have a problem if you didn't pick this up. I said the gospel gives new sight. And then Paul contradicts me and says that They can't see the gospel. You got to believe this, or or it's it. I'm going to say something, and it's hard to understand. We say we understand it, but it's really hard to actually believe. No one ever, in their own vision, with their bad eye, can see. The gospel. Never. No way. Not going to happen. If you're blind, you're blind. You can't do anything about it. That's it. What does he say about them? They are perishing. They are perishing. That's horrible. That is darkness, that is death, that is decay, that is eternal. So, 
How does the gospel give sight? Verse 5. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. So we've talked about this on our Sunday nights, that evangelism is a proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That people, so that was the evangelism chapter, in, um, or the gospel chapter and the evangelism chapter. In the conversion chapter, Mark, we saw that the change in people comes by the power of that proclamation, of that word that's being said. There is power in the word of the cross to those who are being saved, but to those who are... For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For what we proclaim, the gospel, is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. With ourselves as your servants for the sake of Jesus, for Jesus' sake. Now, how does your vision change? How do you go from a bad eye to a good eye, a healthy eye? Verse 6, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You were given a new eye. You are given a new mind. You are given a new heart. When you are stuck with the bad ones. Because you can't change your eyesight. So what are we doing here? What is this, what is this telling us? Where does this leave us? You are who you are, where you are, now and eternally before God. You know what you know because God has changed you. Not not because you realized you had bad sight and you needed to put on glasses. That will never happen. No one will stand at the gates of heaven and say, I once was blind but I fixed my sight. But they say, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I'm going to add to it. I was in the dark and I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. You don't fix yourself. That's what the world does. That's what all the other religions do. This is Christianity. This is the God of the universe saying, I know you can't see me, but I want you to see me. So let me fix your eyes. And what does that bring? That brings him glory and honor and praise. When all the other places 
All the other religions and the self-help to be better people, it just brings boasting in your own self. And that boasting will send you to hell. Okay, I got to wrap this up. So we're going to skip some of this. Last place I want to take you, Ephesians chapter 1. And this kind of ties in back, this kind of ties back to this heavenly treasure thing. And then I want to give you some ex- an example. Ephesians 1. And this is more geared towards those who have been given the who have been given a good eye, those who have been born again. That's what we're talking about, right? The new birth, the Spirit of God now living in you. Verse, uh, start at fifteen. So you see, you see his audience. Uh, Ephesians one fifteen. For the reason, because I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus. And your love towards all the saints. So they are believers. They are saints. They are of the church. Verse 16. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering in my prayers. What's his prayer for them? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. Paul wants you to know more about the Lord Verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you might know. So if you call yourself a Christian, this is so important right here of what you ought to know because what this is, is invaluable. This is the heavenly treasure we've discussed that you may know what is the hope to which He, God, has called you. What are the riches of His glorious inheritance, treasure? And it's only in the saints. It's only in the Christian. heavenly treasure in Christ. We await the fullness of the riches of the gloriousness of it. And it comes through that, that verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Light, God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts. He has shined his light into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge. You want treasure? The knowledge of the glory of God. And where is it? It is in the face of Jesus Christ. The face of Jesus Christ. But Jesus, as he went to uh, Galilee in the place that they were in the darkness. And he brought the light. The end of that chapter, the end of that section, it says he preached the gospel. 
But he told them that this kingdom is here. It's not coming later. It's coming in its fullness later. But it's here because the king is here. And therefore he does give a command. And he says, believe. Believe. And you say, you just told me I can't see. Well, guess what? I'm proclaiming the gospel to you right now. The Spirit of God will work and use His gospel to open up your eyes. And so when I tell you to believe and repent, and you do, the God of this universe has given you a good eye. And praise be to God for the glory that he receives when he gives sight to the blind. So you must believe on him. You must repent of your sins because I'm, t- I'm telling you how great is the darkness but how much greater is Christ. And when you have your new eyes and your new sight, as I've grown older, my sight's gotten worse. And I'm sure some of you can attest to that. As you grow older in Christ, your eyesight gets better. I was talking to Justin Burrow, who's normally here when he's not off working. He called me. He's like, I had to tell you about something. He's like, this weird stuff's been happening. It's like, as I've been reading... Things that are happening in life are connecting to what I'm reading. And he gives me like four examples. He's like, I know you think I'm crazy, but this is happening. This is happening. I was like, Justin, I didn't say this, but now in the context of the sermon, I'm like, your vision is getting better. Your eye is getting healthy. You are being renewed in your mind. You're not being conformed to the world. You're being renewed in your mind by feeding on the word. Your grandma's told you that if you eat carrots, it'll fix your eyes or give you pretty eyes or give you better eyesight, whatever they said. In, when you feed on Christ, your spiritual vision gets better. I don't know about the carrot thing, but I know about this thing. And I promise you, if you are in Christ, if you claim him, if you feed on him, you will see the world for what it is. You will see God for who He is. And you will continue to grow in your understanding and walk more and more in a manner worthy of Him. But that's only if you, if you, you do it. You come to Him through faith and obedience. Let's pray.